Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Amen. Y'all don't even understand. He wasn't super prepared for that. We asked him this morning. He was like, okay. I thought for certain he was going to read from the Hawaiian version. Uh, If you've never read the Bible in the Hawaiian version, do yourself a favor and do that. If you've got the Bible app, go up to language, change it to Hawaiian. It's the only one available. You will not regret it. It is going to change your life. Uh, Maybe that's what we'll do for Bible study on Thursday. I don't know. It's it's pretty fantastic. Uh, We started doing a puzzle last night, my bride and I, uh, which is interesting because I don't like puzzles. Um, and it was my idea. But I've got this, I've got this idea of something I want to do. So I needed two puzzles. So we're sitting down, we're working on the first puzzle. And what do you do when you're doing a puzzle? You do the edges first, right? Some of them are little pieces, some of them tiny. No, Becky disagrees. You don't do the puzzle? You just pick a spot and... Okay, that works too. We started kind of doing that as we're going through. Like we're trying to do the edges and I'm like, oh, this looks like this goes over here. And so I've got this big pile of red. And there's like three things in this puzzle that are red, so I don't know why I did that. But we're going through the puzzle, and we're doing it, and uh, Julie asked me, she goes, we we're looking for a piece, and I'm like, well, it's one of these thousand pieces, I know that much. And she goes, I thought we got a 500, and I was like, no, because what I'm trying to do, I need two pictures, uh, you'll see it eventually, but I needed two very specific types of pictures, and they only had them in thousands, so we're doing thousand-piece puzzles. One of the cool things when you're doing puzzles is, one, it's got the picture on the box. So you know what you're supposed to be looking at. You can look at the box and go, okay, that's what I'm trying to make, hopefully. But this puzzle's also got a big picture in it. You can take it out and unfold it, and so I do. I sit there with my little puzzle piece and my picture, and I move it around like this and like, like this, and I go, okay, it goes over here. But no, because there's a lot of purple in this puzzle, too. And so we just we were like putting it together, and the corners and edges are all wavy and all over the place. But the picture, if you follow the picture, you know what it's supposed to look like. And if something doesn't fit, you can make adjustments. The Word of God is a picture for us. It's something we can follow. It's something that as we look at it, we go, okay, I see. This makes sense. The, the church here, or the seven churches here, were real churches that Jesus was talking to. These were real seven churches of groups of people like all of us that Jesus had something to say to. And he has something to say to us as we read through these seven letters. And how do we know that? Because as Reese just read through, time and time again, we see this phrase at the end of each letter. Jesus says, let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. He says this over and over and over again. So it got me thinking, as we're going through these seven letters, what's something we can do with it? Because there's a lot of different ways we can look at these seven letters. And there's a lot of ways they have been looked at. But what I want us to do today is to do just what Jesus says there. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's what I want us to do. Because the word listen here... Um, it's a, or hear, depending on your Bible translation, it's not just to hear it, right? How many times, if you have kids, have you said, you're not, to your kids, you're not listening to me? Or if you're married, has your spouse said, you're not hearing what I'm saying? I, and I hear the words, but they're not causing any action. My daughter has recently learned, which is sad because she's 17, 
but recently learned, this is not against you, that if she needs my attention, she first has to say, Daddy. Because if not, I'm not going to hear a word she's saying. I'm thinking she's talking to her mother. Um, And so I've just zoned right out. But Jesus says, anyone who has an ear, listen. Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In, in Hebrew, the closest one would be Shema, and some of you may have heard that word. It, it starts with uh, what we call the Shema, and so it's in the Old Testament. It says, listen or hear, O Israel, right? Have you heard that? So that's, that's kind of the same idea, and that word doesn't mean to just hear. It means to listen and to have action or change cause because of the hearing that you had. So we hear it, and it produces change in us. Jesus tells us to listen and obey, to hear and have change. So one thing I think we can do with these letters, and with the Bible as a whole, to be quite honestly, but specifically with these letters, is we can allow them to be a mirror before us. James uh, chapter 1, verses 23 and 24 says, For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after observing himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intention of the hearts. The word of God is meant to cause change and action in us. We have a poor reflection of ourselves because we are broken individuals. Um, I saw this um, video on YouTube, and it, I think it was a Dove uh, commercial, but it took these women and it had them describe themselves to a sketch artist, right? So that the sketch artist can't see them. He's sitting over here. They're sitting over there, you know, and uh, they're describing themselves. And so the pictures don't look anything like these women. Like, they're describing themselves, and the pictures don't look anything like them whatsoever. But then they also had some strangers who they had just met recently, and I think it was the other women who were getting their pictures done. But anyway, they described these women, and the two pictures were vastly different. And it's because we have a broken image of ourselves. Sometimes we way over-exaggerate features that don't exist in ourselves for better or for worse. Sometimes we only see the negative. But the Word of God... God himself has a perfect image of us. He knows exactly what we truly look like. So I want us to use these seven letters as uh, seven mirrors. And as we go through them, we can look and see what does, what does God... Because these are seven different types of people as well and seven different types of churches. So we can look at them and see what is the reflection that I'm seeing from God. Sometimes the reflection is something that you didn't think was beautiful about yourself. And God says, no, it is. I specifically created that, and it is beautiful, and I want the world to see it. Other times, we look in the mirror that God shows us, and we go, ugh. (laughs) You ever do that in the bathroom mirror? I have. (laughs) Catch a glimpse of yourself the wrong way and go, cover that thing up. That, That mirror is broken. But we can use the Word of God to properly reflect what we look like. And I want us to do that here today. So, for the first one, the church in Ephesus. There is a positive, a negative, and a positive flow for the church in Ephesus. The first positive uh, is that they've got knowledge, they've got right doctrine, and they've got endurance. But they've got a negative, is that they don't necessarily operate out of the love they had at first. 
They got another positive, though. They hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. Ephesus started strong. The church in Ephesus started real strong. When, When the gospel came to Ephesus, things were happening. Now, miracles were happening. People were getting saved left and right. People were, like, burning their witchcraft books and their idolatry stuff. Like, things were going amazing. People were coming to faith. It was just, it was an abundant overflow. People were repenting. Paul writes the book to Ephesus, or the letter to the Ephesians, and, and things are just going great. But at some point along the way, they lost their first love. Some people have all the answers. Uh, Some people could recite every verse for every situation, and they can they they can uh, they can tell you what's wrong with everything too, right? Some people can have all these things going on at the same time, and they started strong, like they started memorizing verses and memorizing scripture, so that so it would build up. But at some point, the motive got lost. The motive got somewhere deviated, and their 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 obsession became more of to truth than the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus himself. The Pharisees started out this way. Jesus had some harsh words to say to the Pharisees all throughout Scripture. But they started as a group that was meant to preserve the truth of Judaism. The Greeks had come in and things were intermingling. And they, they just wanted to like put a fence around things and, and, and preserve the beauty and the truth of their religion. But they didn't stay focused on who God was and the love that he has for them. They lost that balance that needed to be there. Uh, It's like that song, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. Great song, Righteous Brothers. I think that could be a worship song. No, that wouldn't make any sense, actually. I was thinking of a different Righteous Brothers song. Um, we, We can start out with the right intention, right? We start out with the right goals, the right motives, but if we don't keep our focus on the most important thing, on God himself, on Jesus, we can drift away. Jesus says there's only one solution to this problem, and that is repentance. And repentance is just turning, turning around, right? We repent when we drive all the time, especially if you've got a GPS. It's constantly telling you, turn around. You missed your exit once again. That's all Jesus is saying is if you find yourself in this position, if you find yourself just being judgmental, not having love, doing things for the wrong reasons, then stop what you're doing and turn around. That's it. The church in Smyrna, there's no negatives to this church. Jesus says, you are afflicted and poor, but rich in Christ. Some say evil about you. This church has, Jesus has nothing negative to say to them because what's important for this church to understand is they're going to continue to be tested. This is one of two instances where Jesus doesn't have a negative to say. Um, And instead of pointing out any possible negative, what what I really see Jesus saying to this church is, I know it hurts. Because sometimes that's what the word of God sees or reflects to us. And that's what sometimes God says to us. We didn't need correction. We don't need anything. We just need to know, I know it hurts. I know. There's a, a Casting Crown song. I can't remember the name of it. It just popped into my head. Um... And in, in part of the song, it's just talking about, like, we don't have to have the answers. We just have to love. Amen. Amen. Because w- when somebody's hurting, like, when you go to uh, a funeral for, for somebody that you love and, or that you're going to support someone who's, you know, a funeral for somebody that lost that they love, you don't, you don't bring all sorts of, like, advice about how to move on in this time and here's how to take care of the house. And do, no, you're just there to love. Yes. 
just there to support, just there to encourage, right? We, we, sometimes we don't need answers. What we need is, I know, it's hard. It's okay. And that's what Jesus is doing for this church, is he's saying, it's okay. I know that it hurts. The great uh, theologian Rocky Balboa once said, no one will hit you as hard as life. <laughs> you don't think Rocky's a theologian? Oh, I think so. I watch those movies fairly religiously, and I can tell you, Rocky's got a lot of wisdom. Sometimes the hits just keep coming. right? You find yourself like waking up in the morning, and your first thought is, oh, what's it going to be today? Or maybe things start to move in the right direction, and your brain starts to go, I'm just waiting for it to happen, though. Things have been going good for too long. It's in times like these, Jesus says, I know, it's okay. Jesus doesn't promise to, to remove the difficulty from this church. And sometimes in our lives, Jesus doesn't promise to remove the difficulty, the hard situations, the, the, the trials and the temptations. He, instead, he promises to be with us. Our response has to be like Martin Luther, the, the German the, uh, reformer, said, let us keep to Christ and cling to him so that no power can remove us. That's what we do in these times where it just feels like life just keeps punching us in the throat. As we go, Jesus, you haven't left me. Let me focus on you. Amen. The church in Pergamum. There's a positive, uh, which is Jesus knows how close to idolatry they live. He knows that they don't deny their faith, even when Antipas was thrown in, into a burning hot bull, copper bowl. That's a mouthful, and I wrote it. They kept the faith. Their leader was thrown into a bowl, boiled alive, but these people kept the faith. Part of the problem, though, is they allow the Nicolaitans and the teaching of Balaam to continue. It's kind of like in Ephesus. What it is, uh, to, to make it really easy, is it's like syncretism, which is combining of different religions and mashing them all up into one stew. And they allow sexual moral, and moral acts to continue. But Jesus says if the people continue in faith, then they'll receive a white stone and hidden manna. So, so what, what is this type of person? What is this type of, of church? Well, it's, it's in times of um, a trial that this church, like, or this person thrives. Like, instead of being like in Smyrna, where like, you know, Jesus is telling them to hold on to the faith, don't give up, don't give in. This type of person, like, trials come and they know exactly what to do. They drop to their knees and they start praying. Bills come in that they don't know what they're going to do. They go straight to Jesus. No matter what's going on, these type of people, they are, they are hard and fast in moments of trial, in moments of temptation, in moments of struggle to cling to Jesus and hold tight really, really hard. Amen. In times of trial, these are the people you want around you. In times of ease, they don't make very good company. Because when things get easy... They get laxed. Things aren't that bad, so I don't need to. I prayed a couple weeks ago. I'm good. No, I haven't been to church in a month and a half, but whatever. Like, things are good. I got, I got things to do. We're going fishing. Uh, I'm going hunting, going baseball, whatever. I don't care. Whatever you want to do. I don't really care. But, like, whatever it is. Like, when things are going easy, oh, no problems. So you might start to kick back a little bit and watch some things on Netflix. That, that if things were hard and you knew you should be praying, you wouldn't watch those things because, well, I don't want to hinder my prayers against Jesus. But when things are easy, i got nothing to pray about, so I could watch a little something. 
When, when things are easy, well, one drink's not so bad, so I guess two's not so bad. Well, what's a six-pack on a Friday night? What's a six-pack on a Saturday night? Monday's been kind of rough. Maybe I'll have a couple, too. When, when times are hard, they know to focus on Christ, to hit the ground, to, to push in deep. But things get easy, and none of that's important anymore. There's nothing wrong with running to Jesus in hard times. We should, absolutely. When things are hard, he is our first thing we go to. But if we develop spiritual disciplines, regular habits of prayer, quiet time, fasting, worship, reflection, devotion, then in times of ease, we can be just as strong and just as connected to Jesus as when times are hard. And that's a sign of maturity. That's something that Jesus is after for us. Church in Thyatira. Jesus knows their works, their love, their faithfulness, their service, and their endurance. Negatives, though, is they allow the spirit of Jezebel to thrive. Sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols. Jesus promises, though, to give them authority to those who overcome. If you um, haven't picked up, sexual immorality is a big theme that runs through these letters. Like the churches that struggle, struggle with sexual immorality which is sexual sin, and it could be all sorts of things. See, some of these people, what it is, is, is they're very faithful. They're very loving. They're very enduring. They care for Jesus. They care for the poor. They care for the truth. Uh, they care about God. They, they're, 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 they're devoted to who Jesus is. Like They're the ones out doing like food banks and all these different things. They are, they are passionate people for Jesus. But kind of like the opposite in the truth uh, or the church in Ephesus, these people tend to get pretty permissive. Like, who am I to judge? Who am I to say you can't, somebody shouldn't do that, or that that's not okay? I'm going to focus just on me and my Jesus. And, and that sounds like it'll keep you out of trouble. Um, but the problem is, is that's not a full devotion to Christ. Now, we have to be careful because this is not about running around judging others. This is not about posting about the ills of the world on social media and starting fights with people about everything that's wrong on the planet. No, this is about keeping your house in order. This is about knowing what is right and that you have to do it even when it doesn't feel good. We have to love in truth. It's a hard balance. But it's doable. I found myself in this position, and, and the question always comes is, how do you balance uh, love and truth? How do you balance faithfulness to God and compassion for others? How do you balance this idea of not running around and judging everything that you see with being faithful to God and keeping your house in order? Well, oftentimes, we're going to fail. And we're going to fail one extreme to the other. Uh, a lot of decisions in life and a lot of things we do, I always think about it as just a big old pendulum, right? We're going to, we, when you make a decision, sometimes you swing way hard one way. And I've been there myself, where I'm going to post and rant and rave about everything that's possibly wrong on the planet, and I'm going to tell everybody how, how to fix it, even though nobody asked. And then I don't like how that's going, so I try to balance it out with, well, everything's okay. As long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I guess nothing else really matters. But it's balancing. It's finding this balance. But when we do, the reward is great. 
And oftentimes it will lead others back to who Jesus really is. We got three more. Doing good. It's only 11.07. I can take a few more water breaks. The, 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 the rain, I walked outside to start the car this morning, and something's blooming. Something is enjoying this rain. I don't enjoy it. Something is enjoying this rain way too much, because as soon as I walked outside, like stop and smell the flowers, oh, I smelt them. And then I can't smell anything else now. So I need lots of water. The church in Sardis. This is a hard one, because I don't know if you picked up on this when Reese was reading through it, but the church in Sardis is tough because Jesus has nothing nice to say about these people. And that is the truth. Sometimes there is nothing nice to say about somebody. You know, thumper, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Jesus doesn't follow that rule. Jesus had nothing nice to say about this church whatsoever. Instead, he says, the church is dead. They pretend to be alive, but they are not. These are a bunch of pretenders. Jesus tells this church that, that there, there's a few who are alive, a few who are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing and who are what they say they are, but most of the church is dead, and they need to, be, they need to repent or they will be erased. That is harsh. Like, that's a two-by-four to the face from Jesus. That is some hard stuff. But that's who he is. This is really about fake people. Fake people in the church. Fake people who have the answers. Fake people who show up regular attendance two and a half times a month. I still don't understand what that halftime is. Somebody fill me in. It's like two and a half kids, I guess. Like, they show up regularly. They're, they're out doing events with the church. They, they, they come to the things. They champion the causes. They probably give in the tithes and offerings. But, but they have no relationship with Christ whatsoever. And Jesus says, you're fake. You're just a pretender. We have people in our churches... There could be somebody in this room who looks like a Christian but has never actually stopped to walk with him. Who has decided that if they do the right things, that's probably good enough. Like as long as I just show up, my husband, my wife, they're, they're saved, I'm sure, I think, whatever. Jesus says, no, no. He says, stop what you're doing right now and turn. Uh, D.L. Moody, an old preacher um, back in the 1900s, late 1800s. I don't remember when D.L. Moody lived, but great preacher, uh, famous evangelist. He ended a service one time, and normally he would do an altar call. Normally he would say, if you need to receive Christ, come forward now, receive Christ. Instead, he just felt like, no, I'm going to do something different this time. Instead, I want everybody to just think about it over the course of the week. Next week, we're going to get back together, and then I'm going to invite you to receive Jesus. But he wanted people to take time to just think through this. But that night, the great Chicago fire launched, uh, started. And most of the people who were in that service died. This stayed with D.L. Moody for the rest of his life, and he said that he would never give time again that once presenting the truth of who Jesus was, he would stop. 
and ask people to receive that truth. Because if you don't know Jesus, then none of this means really anything to you. It's like trying to do that puzzle without actually looking at the picture. You're just sticking pieces in. And sure, sometimes you're going to get some pieces that fit together. You're going to make something that looks like something. Because the odds are that there's a... a, So the, the puzzle that we're doing, there's this lady's face, and she's kind of close up in the picture. It would be really difficult to not put her face together. Because it's already mostly done for you. But the details in the flowers... You can't do those without the picture. We can look at these things. We can read the words and we can do all this. But without the spirit of God living in us, without us being born again, without us confessing our sins to Jesus, none of this matters because you're never going to do it. You are never going to have the strength or the power to do the things you need to do in life. You are never going to, to have those moments where, like to the church in, in, in um, Smyrna, where God says to you, it's okay, I know it hurts. Instead, you're always going to feel like, I can't do this. Why is everything so hard? Why does so-and-so have it so much better than me? Maybe they don't. Maybe they just have a relationship with Christ, and that's enough. So I'm gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to take just a moment here because following D.L. Moody and following what Jesus says to this church here is, if you find yourself to be a pretender, stop, repent, and turn to Christ right now. So we're just going to take 30 seconds. And if there is anybody in this room, then you've got 30 seconds right now where you can stop and respond to Jesus. So Jesus, we're going to close our eyes, all of us, and if there's anything we need to stop with, maybe it's, maybe it's that there's any of us in here who, who don't actually know who you are. Open our hearts right now, Jesus. If there's anything that we are pretending about Jesus, open our eyes to it and help us repent. Take 30 seconds and just listen to Jesus. We'll have more time to pray at the end as well. Church in Philadelphia. I don't know about you, but I can't read the word Philadelphia without singing the song in my head. West Philadelphia, born and raised. Uh, like Smyrna, there's no negatives for this church. Right? He's, it, Jesus doesn't have anything negative to say about this church. Instead what, instead, what he says is, you have limited strength. Church was probably small and weak. But Jesus says there are those who are that those who think that they're strong are going to come kneel before the weak ones. Some are weak because they're humble and meek and choose to be gentle. Others are weak because they're physically weak. But to the weak, Jesus promises that you will be strong. Um, we, we don't have to worry about our own strength and power. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. 
When we're weak, we can be strong. In those times when we fall on our knees, in those times when we turn to Christ, in those times when we stop what we're doing and look to Jesus, all of a sudden we start to become strong. There are some people who seem to be really weak on this earth but are powerhouses. Uh, Mother Teresa is always a popular example. She's a little frail old woman, but she was a powerhouse for the kingdom of God. Like she would go and, and touch the untouchables, literally. She worked with those who had leprosy. She could get into places that nobody else would be allowed to because she's just this weak little old woman. But for the kingdom of God, she was mighty. I've got a friend of mine, um, we met a few years back. When she was a teenager, she had a horrible accident. Uh, She was a gymnast, and she landed wrong, and now she's a paraplegic. Yeah, you say that, right? And that's the response that weak people get is, oh, that's so bad. That's, like, sad. And it is. But she has used that weakness for the glory of God in amazing ways. I mean, she, she wrote a book recently. She's, uh, she's been involved in like these uh, training things where they're trying to develop ways for paraplegics to do things like rock climb, um, uh, rowing, and stuff like that. Like She does all these other things. But she's a powerhouse for Jesus. She's been able to go into countries and minister to people that I would never be able to. As a strapping white man, <laughs> they're like, no, you can't come in. But, but here she comes rolling up in her wheelchair, and they're like, what is she going to do? Go ahead, go talk to the people. And she sees people coming to Christ all the time. And she's able to see people that we don't always see. Because when you're broken, you see brokenness. But if you're strong and powerful, then you overlook things all the time. But because of her weakness, she's able to see people that that most of us never even know are there. And to those people, God says, Jesus says, your weakness is strength. So if you find yourself in here today and you feel weak, like the life has just beaten me down, life has battered me, life has just kicked the snot out of me more times than I can realize, Jesus says, I know! Isn't it great? Because now you're weak. Now you can be strong. And now you can use that weakness as strength for others. So last one, we've got the church in Laodicea. 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 I don't know. It's like 20 different ways to say that word. Uh, Negative. Yeah, negative. That's how this one's starting out. They are neither hot nor cold. They're lacking usefulness. They think they have it all together. I think Jesus saved this one for last because it, it really, it's a hard punch. This church thinks they've got it all together. But Jesus says they should learn to listen to him and invite him into their lives and world. And he promises to enter. This message, we have to be very careful. This is not, this is that famous one. We're, we're just going to go ahead and read it real quick here. Um, Verse 15, chapter 3, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. We've probably all heard sermons on you need to be hot for Jesus. That is not at all what's being talked about here. Instead, it's about being useful in the hands of the master. That's what the point is here. Hot water has a use. Cold water has a use. Lukewarm usually doesn't have a use. 
Unless you're one of those weirdos like me, I prefer lukewarm water. I don't know. But generally, lukewarm has no purpose for us whatsoever other than maybe to waste it. Like you're rinsing something out. You're, you're flushing your, your radiator. You use lukewarm water because who cares? It's not hot or cold. It's not really got much of a use to it. You don't boil eggs or potatoes in lukewarm water. Right? You don't make a... Well, you make cold tea, but you don't like brew cold tea. Unless it's cold brew. That one got a little away from me. This is about not depending on yourself. Like the opposite of the church in Philadelphia, they knew they could not depend on themselves because they had no strength. They knew no matter what they did, they weren't going to be strong enough to do it. But this church, this was a bunch of well-to-do people. They didn't have any problems. They knew if they needed something, they could just go down to the market and buy it. Better yet, they could send their slaves down to the market to get it for them. They didn't have to worry about nothing. And in that self-sufficiency, Jesus says, you have no use to me. Because you think you've got it all together. Instead, Jesus says, buy from me. This leads me to think this church went on shopping sprees quite often. And Jesus says instead, buy from me pure gold, pure clothes. This is what you need, is to come to me to get the things that you need. Instead of being self-sufficient. The Bible says, has harsh words for, for people who feel self-sufficient. James 5, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 says, Come now, you rich people, weep and wail over the miseries that are coming to you. Your wealth has rotted and your clothes are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will be a witness against you and, your flesh, and eat your flesh like fire. You have stored up treasures for the last days. Look, the pay that you withheld from the workers are mowed to, your field, to mow your fields cries out, and the outcry of the harvesters has reached the ears of the Lord of armies. You have lived luxurious on the earth and have indulged yourselves. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have, con you have condemned, you have murdered the righteous ones who do, who do not resist you. Like, these are people who are self-sufficient, like, I got it all together, I don't have any problems, everything's good. Like, yeah, I accepted Jesus when I was a kid in church, that was awesome. But they've got nothing, they don't need anything. Jesus says, you need everything. You've got nothing. Because guess what, when you go to the gravesite, this one and that one, they're both in the ground. It doesn't matter what box you were buried in, who cares? Jesus, uh, Jesus, no, not even close. Grace has been asking about, like, cremation lately. Like, what do they do when they cremate somebody? And so, like, you try to explain it to her without being too morbid. But in the end, what does it matter? You're dead. You're in the ground. I mean, your spirit is somewhere, but your body, it's, it's gone. So all those nice things that you had, all that ability to take care of yourself that you had, it all comes to nothing in the very end. What you did with Jesus is the only thing that matters. Did you listen to him? When he showed you something, did you obey? Because if not, Jesus is like, you've got more problems than you know what to do with. Because at the end of the day, responding and being obedient to the word of God, to Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit who is in you, prompting you towards things, is the only thing that matters. That's it. I don't, it doesn't matter what anybody else does. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. How you respond to Jesus is the only thing of importance in your life. Amen. Yeah. So if Jesus is prompting you to do things, 
you do it. It's hard? Yeah. It's uncomfortable? Yeah. You don't like it? Probably. You'd rather Jesus say, I need ministers to move to Hawaii and start a church. And you go, suffer for Jesus. It doesn't matter. Jesus says, buy from me the things that you need. Submission to God is how these seven letters ends. And I don't think that's any coincidence. Is that in everything Jesus is telling to submit to him. And it's not to say that it's all negatives. No, there's a lot of times where, like, being a Christian is really fun sometimes. It's really hard sometimes. You go on crazy adventures, and you do all sorts of wild things, and, and you know that every day you wake up connected to the Lord of the universe. Every day you wake up, no matter what happened yesterday, today's a new day, and you can go, well, Jesus, what do we have in store today? My life with Jesus is much like, uh, have you, has anybody seen The Hobbit? Right? Oh, I, don't, I don't like it as much as the other three movies, except for the save this one line. <laughs> Julie hates this line. Is when he's running out to find Gandalf afterwards, and he goes, I'm going on an adventure. That's how I live my life. <laughs> Tell my family, I have an idea. Next thing I know, it's, it's chaos. But who cares? We're submitting to Jesus. And sometimes that means you submit your wild, crazy ideas. Sometimes it means you submit your family. Sometimes it means you submit whatever. Jesus ends these seven letters with saying, buy from me what you need. Submit to me. Because whatever reflection we have of ourselves, whether really accurate, inaccurate, somewhere in between, a central part of that picture has to be submitting to Christ. Amen. So I, I would really challenge you to take some time over this week and read these seven letters. We got seven days until we get back to next week. Read one a day. Read all seven every day. Mix it up. I don't know. Come to a small group on Thursday night and listen to us talk about one of the letters. That could work too. If you're youth, come to Cain's tonight and we will talk about one of them. Colton and Grace. It's going to be fun. We're going to eat chicken and talk about Jesus. And submit. Whatever it is, submit to Jesus. I will say that until the day I die. Whatever it is, submit to Jesus. So take some time over this week. Read these seven letters. Right now we're going to pray again because... Next slide, Colton. Or the last slide. Romans. Did you bounce back? There we go. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What did we do? We took a little break and we said, Jesus, if there's anything that you need to show me, show me. If there's anything I need to see, let me repent of that. If, the, if I've never actually called on you, then show me right now so that I can do that. So we're going to take another 30 seconds. We're just praying fools in this place, Dean. Because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you have never put your faith in him, I beg you to do that now. If you did it a long time ago and you found that I've not actually been submitting anything to Jesus in my life, 
do that now. But be warned. Here's my warning to you. If you know that Jesus is putting things on your heart, if you know Jesus is speaking things to you, and you decide to harden your heart in this moment, it's going to get harder. I, I don't like that, but that is a truth like gravity. If Jesus is impressing something on you and you choose to harden your heart in this moment against him, it's going to get so much harder. Pretty soon you won't be hearing him at all. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So wherever you're at, you can stop. You can turn, just like Jesus said to the churches that needed to, and repent. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you that, that you highlight the things in us that we need to say. I thank you for those in this room who are feeling weak, who are feeling uh, struggling, who are, who, are, who are feeling worn down. I thank you for them, and I pray that you give them the strength right now to rise up in strength and victory by your power. Lord Jesus, for those who have, who have hardened their hearts or who, who don't know you, if there be any here, give them strength to call on your name to be saved, Jesus. Even if it's something as simple as, Lord Jesus, save me. Jesus, we take just a couple of moments to just sit in quiet before you. Open our eyes to the reality of who you are and who we are in you. Just take just a moment.